What is up, everybody here? It is Ryan, and happy to have you on the Scale Up Show. I have Tom Albert, who is doing some amazing things. He was working with the NSA, the Department of Defense, and actually had a model that predicted major risk before the pandemic happened because of the AI he was using in cybersecurity, uh, also looking on the dark web, social media. So this episode's absolutely amazing, and we cover a lot of things that I haven't heard anybody talk about before. So you're gonna wanna miss this, or you're not gonna wanna miss this, check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Tom Albert. Tom is the founder and CEO of Measured Risk. Some really cool things about Tom is that his company helps triangulate risk through advanced data science. He's done work with the NSA, Department of Defense, was on the internal mergers and acquisitions team for Cisco. He was previously homeless, a top 5% sales producer for Oracle, and then developed an artificial intelligence engine they can see most of the information on the internet from the news and social media to the dark web. On top of that, if that wasn't enough, he's also on the show Unicorn Hunters, where investors like Steve Wozniak search for the next billion-dollar startup. Tom, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Hey, Ryan. Thanks, man. Excited to be here, brother. Yeah, dude. Uh, it, was, uh, it was cool doing a little background research and chatting with you on the pre-show. So really excited about this, man, uh, and, and just your view of the world and, and how you're kind of approaching things. So before we get into that, though, let's do a real quick revenue rundown in terms of where you're at in the stage of the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Yeah, so I, I'm going to keep it close to the vest. We have to. We're in the middle of a cap raise, but I can tell you that we're we're early stage. We're growing. We anticipate a couple million dollars of ARR this year up through five million is the plan. Okay, awesome, man. Yep. So targeting five mil. Uh, yep. what's, your, what's your primary revenue growth go-to-market strategy? So historically, we've been a data provider. Actually, we started to go back in time. We started out as a consulting firm, and we, we, we did that for a while. And we realized that, hey, we want to build software. And so we pivoted the business early. We actually went from a consulting company, and I've seen some other founders do this and not do it successfully, and others do it successfully. It's really a challenge, to be honest, when you're trying to do two things at once. But we started out as a consulting shop. And in that process, we learned, hey, you know what? Some of these tools that we're using, uh, we've we've had a vision that when we started the company, we started with a vision of product. But we realized that, you know what? We can get down the path on this. We can actually get it done. Uh, and as technology started, underpinning technology started to enable more compute resources and things like that, we started to realize we can do this. So it was probably about uh, maybe three years into the business that we decided to turn to product. And at that point in time, we've been building product ever since. We're actually, uh, the last the last year has been through API sales. So we actually have an API, uh, a data pipe, that we deliver that intelligence through partner ecosystems. So whether that's like managed service providers, whether that's big consulting firms, those type of organizations, or even a direct client. So when you think about like a Fortune 1000, they would have between 20 and, and 40,000 suppliers they may not want to use a, a new dashboard or something like that. They already have systems in place for procurement where they have their risk management pipeline. Being mm -hmm. able to stitch our API directly into their environment is what we've been selling for the last year. And we're now getting ready to launch our full SaaS offering, which we're super okay. excited about. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yep. So API to or consultant to API to full SaaS offering. If, if That's we, correct. We just kind of follow the life cycle. Yep. Okay. Yep. 
You got so, it. So so that's an interesting journey. So what what what's your approach for acquiring revenue then for the the API and then the uh, SaaS revenue? Like, how do you guys approach it? Do you do outbound partner led growth? Yep. Like, what's kind of the approach? Yep, good question. We do we do a fair amount of outbound, but I'd say that really we're, what's interesting is people are finding us, which is great. I mean, when I say people, large consulting firms are finding us, systems integrators are finding us, and there's word of mouth, obviously, that, hey, Measured Risk has this kind of very unique data pipe of predictive intelligence for supply chain risk. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as people hear that, it seems to be that they're, you know, they're, they're reaching out to us. So we're getting a fair amount of that. But that being said, I mean, I, I've always been the type of business person to believe that, you know, we, we don't want to be reactive. We don't want to be kind of on our heels. We always want to be out driving opportunity. And so this year, you're going to see a heck of a lot of kind of what I consider forward sales motion from the company, more marketing. We stayed a little bit quiet uh, and we're timing all of that. So there's, there's a logic to what we're doing. But the objective is throughout this year, you're going to hear a lot more of a splash around the SaaS offering. <clears throat> We've done a lot with partners. I mean, partners are really our foundation. I think when you look at the business, there are a lot of partners in what I just mentioned, the systems integrator community or even in the consulting community where this type of intelligence enables their team to go out and be more uh, more billable, I guess you could say. Right. At, 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 a, at a at a decent margin. And so that's that's really been our go to market today. Um, and we're pivoting that uh, to include in the future here, SAS. OK, excellent. man. I love it. How large is your team right now? So we're pretty small. I mean, we've you know, the companies when you take advisors and different people that are involved in the company, developers, you're looking at like 10, 15 people depends, uh, you know, in terms of activity. But yeah, you, we think through this year, we're going to get to about 20, 20 people as the, okay. as the objective. Excellent, yeah. man. Yep. And then, like, can you explain your solution in two sentences so that uh, t- talk to us like we're, we're you know, third graders uh, in terms yeah. of the, the complexity level? Yeah, it it is sure it it is a complex solution, but uh, what the problem it solves is really simple. So when you think about, let's say that you're going to build, let's say that you're an auto manufacturer and you're going to build a car, and there's different, you know, there's different aspects of that car. There's leather for the seats, there's rubber for the tires, there's chrome for the wheels. When you take all those parts together, all the different manufacturers that create that. There's maybe, you know, 5,000, let's say, or it depends on what you're, what you're making, right? If it's a jet, it's 5,000. If it's a vaccine, uh, you know, it could be 2,500, for instance. I'll give an example. Um, point being is that you've got all these other suppliers that in your ecosystem that help you create that solution. Um, and these could be vendors. That, they're not just suppliers. They could be counterparties, ultimately. The risk of those counterparties uh, really means – the 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 viability of those counterparties to continue, bless you. The viability of those counterparties to um, to continue operations is critical to your mission. So you can't build that car without them working effectively. And so what we do as a company is we monitor and capture the risk of those companies failing, as well as other risk archetypes that are concerning that would that would that would drive you to have pause as the the manufacturer of that uh that that car manufacturer and so so things like cyber cyber hygiene risk um and all of these things matter when you're thinking about dependency because as a business leader you need to be able to depend on those partners to show up and do the the job and if they're going to go out of business in three years or two years or six months 
You need to know that or have at least some foresight to that. And so that's what we provide is the foresight to see impending risk to the counterparties that you rely on. And we do that through predictive models, ultimately. And so like to take it one step further, like the yeah. first the first scenario I think of comes in like the um, <laughs> maybe this is a wives tale, but I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Right. The, the casino that got hacked into from the, the aquarium. Or the fish oh, tank. Yeah. Did you hear about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, is it kind of like, like that? It, but it, it sounds like you're looking at risk, not, well, let me ask you this. Is it covering both the protection side, but then also the predictability of like the business viability of, of your partners? Yeah. So from like, from a protection perspective, let's kind of peg it this way. Basically what we're saying is you're going to, if you're a large organization um, and you have something, you know, let's, let's say you're a fortune 1000 or you're even a, a supply a systems integrator, and you're building, you're on a large government program. The, any of those suppliers or vendors or subcontractors, the uh, the risk of those being breached equates to the risk of you being breached. So what happens a lot of times in this world is, is that organizations, one of the primary threat vectors is through third-party risk. And so being, a, being, a, being breached through a third party um, is one of the primary risk vectors that we help an organization determine is, are you going to be, by work, virtue of working with this supplier or this vendor, are you going to be inherently breached? Uh, meaning, are they likely to get breached? And that creates further risk for you. So the space is called third party risk management or supply chain risk management. It just depends on how you look at it. Like TPRM is considered its own silo of just cyber and then yeah. there's and then there's supply chain risk management, which is more broad and to include other risk types and procurement and things like that. And so we play in both. But to answer your question, if you have four thousand suppliers, let's say, and maybe five percent of them are telegraphing to the world, "Hey, hack me," that increases your risk as as an organization doing business. And so we help provide insight or foresight to that. Okay. Perfect, man. And are you bootstrapped or backed? Well, we're both. So bootstrapped, uh, and then and then uh, pulled in angel funding into the company. Uh, we pulled in two point one million dollars in inve- in outside capital uh, from from investors. So okay. we've we've done both. Yeah, Excellent, and we're man. actually getting ready to go uh, for another round. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. So so walk me through that. Like walk me through mm-hmm. your journey of like. Yep. Going from a, you know, starting off consulting to, you know, the API path to the SaaS solution, like, what was that like? And then, you know, how did you financially execute against that with a bootstrap model first and then integrating into funding? Like, how did you make that a reality? Because that's one of the things that, that a lot of people struggle with because, you know, I mean, if you look at it, the VC game is a very interesting, right? Um, I think I, I, the most recent stat I saw was like 93% don't make it to their Series B from Series A, right? Right. Um, yeah. There's a 93% failure rate. So how did you do that, man? Walk us through that. Well, you know, there's a lot of different answers I think you'd like hear in the market with different founders. But I mean, some would attribute it to like grit, just grit, right? <laughs> like, I mean, there, there is that. Uh, but no, I, I think, you know, in my case – we ran really lean. Um, we didn't build, we didn't, we didn't try to hyperscale the company too quickly, uh, which is really important. So meaning, um, 
you know, when we did take in investment, we didn't hurry up and, and hire a, a whole bunch of people and things like that through through the last couple of years. And so we've been smart about how we've deployed capital. I think that's the first thing. Um, measuring it with the demand of the market is is what I would is what I would tell you. But in terms of the in terms of the 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 capitalization through the years against revenue and that aspect of the business, it has definitely been um you know, it has definitely been a consistent focus of the company to to make sure that we're, you know, we're we're building appropriately with the amount of capitalization we've brought into the company with our forecast of our pipeline and those aspects. And I think that we've never look, we've never been in a position where we've we've had a thirty five million dollar round into the company. That may happen in the future, obviously, but we've never been in a position to have that. And so, by virtue of that. We've been very um, judicious, I guess is the best way to put it. And I think, but I'm from an old school um, running a business, you know, from corporate and 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 very kind of tight in terms of, you know, there was a, there was a period of time I was running like a three hundred fifty million dollar business when I was thirty in my mid thirties, and and doing that, you know, I learned how to metric the business on a weekly basis, understand what kind of revenue is inbound, as well as what kind of cost of goods on that revenue, those types of things, and so being a steward of of, of that, I think, has been what it's able to get us here. But realistically, you always think as a founder that you're being penny wise and pound foolish. Um, and that is a risk, right? So you're, you're kind of like, you've got this yin and yang going in your mind as the one hand, you're like, Hey, you know, I'm being very judicious here in terms of we're, we're keeping expenses low. We're, we're being, we're approaching this methodically. And at the same time, you're thinking, Hey, are we missing opportunity? If we had X amount of capital to deploy into the company at this point in time, that equates to speed and scale and, and, are we missing the opportunity to do that? So, so there's always been that consideration for sure. Okay. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So let's get a little more granular, man. So mm-hmm. you start off, you started consulting, right? Yep. Like what was your model in terms of like revenue? Was it project-based? Was it retainer-based? And then at the same time, like what was your focus allocation mm-hmm. to shift from, you know, a time for money business to a productized business? So it was, it was really interesting. I mean, we, we started out doing pen testing. And, you know, just to be kind of really specific about the types of consulting work we were doing was actually doing penetration testing for organizations who works with, with some interesting clients and had the opportunity to basically assess the security of their organization. I always knew that pen testing was a bit of a commodity business, and I knew that tools would automate it ultimately eventually. So it wasn't necessarily the best kind of I wasn't looking at it from a long-term vision of doing pen testing. We were looking at this consulting. And then theoretically, if you can build a business base around pen testing clients, 
you can convert them into software clients, right? That that's the that was the original uh, thesis of it. And what we found though is is that as we started building different capabilities to support our own internal efforts, we started to realize, hey, we we actually can build a unique product in this area that is differentiated than the rest of the world, and we can do it from. Uh, an actual tactical experience. In other words, we're going to use what we what we create, um, and we're going to use that internally to determine whether you know organizations are more at risk as a result of, let's say, the third parties, those types of things. But is that is that kind of middle part happened around twenty, let's say, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen? We started to look at saying, hey, um, we think we can really build this capability. And at that point in time, uh, we went out and got some pretty talented developers and started putting, you know, putting pen to paper on technology. Um, and that's that was the the path to coming to a conclusion. Even though we had started out with always the belief that we're going to build a technology, we really didn't get serious about it until the 27, 2018 timeframe. And, and then at that point in time, we started to say, hey, you know what? There's a market we think we can address here. We have slides talking about supply chain risk in 2019. We have slides from 2019 talking about pandemic risk and subsequent supply chain risk and really? third-party risk as a result of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something when we show people that, they're like, you got to be kidding me. Wow, that's a credibility builder. Um, so when did you start the consulting then? If you started that in 2017, 2018, when yeah. of- we started the we started the company in we formalized the company at the end of 2015 is when okay. we started to formalize the company. So, you know, we we were really kind of just <clears throat> doing the consulting piece and working through building a, a early stage product uh, in those first couple of years. And then and then we went to more serious concerted approach to build product. And to pause on going after consulting business. And back to your point, the decision to do that, we knew was going to be expensive because we were going to be shutting off a revenue stream and we were going to have to say, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to build while, you know, you know what I mean? There's a lot of yeah. risk. So, so we raised capital into those times um, and being able to raise capital into those times based on the vision and the viability and the fact that we have, uh, I mean, we've we've got advisors of the company that are really significant that believe in what we do in terms of their backgrounds, and and we've got a lot of kind of people that believe in this vision of being able to do predictive intelligence from afar and how that can help leaders from a decision support perspective. So we've been fortunate to to that it's not a very difficult sale. Once people understand what it is we're doing, they're like, Oh, that's that, that was going to be the future in 2019. And then it came real. And, and so then, then when supply chain risk became apparent to everybody and everybody's running around saying, Hey, you know, the supply chain's completely screwed up. Why can't we see this? We could see it. Measured risk could see it. If you were to take our data and, and put it in a Multigo diagram or a knowledge graph, you would be able to see, the likelihood or propensity for failure across entire supply chains, ultimately, and and, and meaning like impending, um, and that's the thing. And so, when you have this type of capability, the next part of that is okay. How do you get that out to market? How do you just because it? it I always equate it to like if if let's say you're Edison or not. Let's say you're uh, Henry Ford, and you're you've got your you've got your new car you're building, and you're looking out your window, and you're you're looking at like. Uh, you know, horses and buggies in front of your house, right? And you're, right. you're smirking and you got your kind of curtain down and you got your car, you got your car in here. 
I mean, what did he what did he go through? Did he go through like thinking was he sitting there like, man, I can't wait to like pull 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 the cover off this and come out to the world, right? Or was he thinking was he thinking like, wait, they need this. How do I get them to know that they need it, right? And that's the thing. So there's there's the next stage of of innovation which is which is market uh, market proliferation. And there's different ways to do that. You know, you can, which we can get into, but um, yeah, man. that's the thing we're at right now. Let's cut it up. What do you think for market? Yeah. So you're talking about category design basically is, is kind of what you're talking about it, from yeah. ish, right? If we're, if we're talking going from horse and buggy to a car, um, same thing, you're talking mm-hmm. about category design. So, so what do you, what, what are a couple different ways from your perspective that you would approach it. Actually, how are you approaching it and what other other solutions have you evaluated when it comes to that? Okay, cool. So I've I've looked at the market deep. I've worked with um I've worked with a big analysts in this space. So I know the the space well. And uh and working with these big analysts, um, that you know, they 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 know us. And so the beauty of this is they know our solution and we know what the market affords. And so the interesting part here is is that um I can tell where the deficiencies are. The team can tell where the deficiencies are in this market. Let me give you an example. Um, Let's just say the third-party risk market. So I consider it tired and old, uh, generally speaking. And the reason is, is people get like a score. They get just a score for risk. Well, here's the problem. Um, That score is based on kind of yesterday's news. It's done via scraping, which is detection. And so by virtue, if you find out like, for instance, that an S3 bucket is open or some kind of indicator under this score, well, that could have been open for like, I don't know, like six months. And and, and you're literally reporting on something that is in the, in the rear view window, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a rear view mirror. And yeah. whereas where it's not looking at anything forward leaning. So we built models that, that we're, we're able to do inference in the absence of any detective type of, let's say, open port or open, you know, whatever, o- open bucket, anything like that, any of the just scrapes. In the absence of any data whatsoever, we can infer that a company is likely to be breached or not. That's the thing. So being able to do predictive inference about the cyber hygiene or the proficiency of an organization, nobody in the world's doing. Why is it important? You may not have the data. So you need to be able to do inference and you need to be able to do it at scale. So that's just one kind of example. And then when I think about like that market, it's just the third party risk market. It's just literally focused on cyber. Well, there's a whole lot of other risks that can happen to these, to these, you know, these, this supply chain and you need better intelligence about what those types of risks are. And when we, when we decided to go down this path, we said, listen, we, we know that cyber is really important. Clearly, we're a cyber company, but there are other impacts to a business. And then if you start at the highest level, what is the, like the worst thing that can happen? A, biz- a supplier goes out of business. Okay, that, that's like, it, you're, you're not like they got breached or they, had a, they were dealing with like a, a hurricane coming through. No, the company just ceased operations. And so we started with the highest level of risk, which is how long is the company likely to live? And the way we did that is through really advanced data science and math. We use something called the Kaplan-Meier equation. We have NATO top secret cleared 
PhDs in artificial intelligence that we've developed this with. And these guys basically built these models that say, look, that company is going to live 7.2 years or 6.1 years or two years or 15. And why that's important is knowing that that, that from a dependency perspective, it's one thing to say they're going to be breached or they have a cyber attack surface. It's another thing to say, well, they're going to go out of business. And if they have fragility in their business and they have poor cyber hygiene, which we surface, then there's a problem. There's a real problem. And so we knew that being able to take kind of the differentiation that I just described into the market would be an eye opener for executives because business resilience is absolutely something that falls under the C-suite's concern about their supply chain. Oh, yeah. Business continuity and business resilience. Especially a market. The more you move up market, I mean, I remember that. Um so I, I, we talked about this a little bit, but I ran an enterprise team, you know, just just kind of like like you did or you, you were in the enterprise mm-hmm. space, you get mm-hmm. it. But those Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies, they would typically, in, instead of doing it the way that you're talking about, it, they would look at it based on revenue. Like, OK, yeah. well, you don't have X amount of revenue, so we can't do business with you because right. You're, right. you're a risk if we, we you know, partner with you and, and set mm-hmm. you up. So I guess like so you talked about the opportunity right within your business, but like. How are you, and I don't want to say weaponizing it because it sounds counterintuitive to the protection that you're saying, but how are, how are you actuating that? How are you making that a reality in terms of like creating your own category? Like what's the, and you don't have to give, you know, the trade secrets away, but what's the foundational elements that you're focused on over the next 12 months? Let's say you get this cap raise. What are you going to do? How are you going to attack it? Great question. So a couple, couple things first off, first off. So the, the, the one thing I wanted to address, I think from the way we're looking at the market in our space there's a there's a big uh, what I consider a big glaring um, issue in this space where if you're a large enterprise and you want to try out solutions like our solution or you want to go and, and go down a path and and try out a new supply chain risk management third party risk management solution whatever it may be you can't really do it easily you can get like a report on yourself. But you can't actually test the software. You can't sign up for it online. I can't send you a link and you can just go ahead and sign up. Measured risk, we're going to change that. We're going to democratize how organizations are able to look at risk of their counterparties. And doing that in a way where you don't need to, to engage with us. You don't even need to reach out to us. You don't need to pick up the phone and deal with an enterprise salesperson. Yeah, it's not necessary. You can literally get in our platform and test it and play around with it and use it. And, and actually transact and purchase credits in the platform as a SaaS offering versus the heavy, burdensome lift of, oh, we've got to go through a you know six-month sales cycle or three-month sales cycle. We've got to deal with an enterprise sales rep that's going to sell me. you know we're, Pretty soon, we're going to be $100,000, $200,000 out the door to, to monitor these. We're, going to, we're scratching all that from the industry. And we're going to – our first barrier to entry is here. You can have a free – you can have a free uh, trial of the software, and then if you want to buy something, you can buy like a report for forty dollars. There you go. So forty bucks, you can actually get our intelligence, as opposed to without the friction of a sales team or anything like that that you have to deal with at that stage. And so that's really important is to democratize it, to get it out there, and not be afraid to get it in the market <laughs> versus having to go through kind of this gated, historic gated approach to third party risk. So that was the that was one of the key things that we did. We made a decision this last year that look, we're going to go ahead and open this up to the world, and that way uh, it becomes a, the other aspect that becomes a great lead generation mechanism. Oh yeah, because because that you know, I mean ultimately. 
you can see consumption. You're, you're curious of how, how much, you know, how, how would people's use cases are It really helps shape the product. And so, so that is one piece of it, which is, okay, we're, we, we've taken kind of this dracone, we've taken the gloves off on this and said, Hey, we're no longer, we're not going to support a draconian sales cycle, uh, an enterprise approach necessarily at the, at the, at the entry point. We're actually, we want everybody in the world to try this thing. Let's just try it. And then we'll see who uses it and who has interest in the application and how to apply it. Cause there's a lot of different use cases of this. I mean, there's the ones I described to you, which is like vendor and third party supply chain risk management, right? Well, guess what? We've also been approached by like private equity firms uh, and, and them saying, hey, can you look at our portfolio? We know that you've got these survival analysis models. Are you able to determine like the viability of an investment we make or are about to make or emergent acquisition? Hey, we might want to look at this company prior to acquisition. There's so many different use cases for it. So we're exploring all of those. And we think the best way to kind of catch as many of those as possible is, is to really open it up and, and provide free access to the platform at first, those types of things. Excellent, man. Yep. Chat, the chat GPT model, right? Democratize it and see what happens yeah. and then light, light the match and watch it explode, right? Yeah, so, I mean, this is exactly right. People, you I mean, know, that's I'm essentially gonna... what they did with AI and, and, yeah. and now look what happened as a follow-up with it. It's, you know, it's really interesting because um, I've had a couple other guests on and and we've talked about this and um, he's he a guy named um, John Darbyshire, who's in SmartSuite, basically had an experience actually in the cyberspace. I don't, I don't think I told you this, man. But he he sold a company called Arrow and had a $200 million exit. I'm trying to remember Arrow. It's not Arrow Electronics. It's Arrow something, right? Mm-hmm. And he, Smart Suite is more of a approach where it's like, it's a, it's a competitor to like Airtable or ClickUp, okay. right? But Got he's it. like, hey, He's like, we, you know, one of the things that I realized in my past business is partnerships were so critical and we would do the enterprise motion first and then the partnerships and partnerships drove so much, we decided to reverse it in this situation. And so he led with a partnership led motion, right? The same kind of really almost free, very cheap, almost product like growth-ish approach. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he got, they did it, they actually cold called to the top. 300 partners of his top two or three competitors mm-hmm. got on there, not exclusive. Right. Mm-hmm. And like within a month and a half, not of him starting it, but recently when we did the interview, he, he added 3000 new customers. <laughs> nice. That, that's right? insane. Yeah. And that's he's insane. like, we're going to circle back to the enterprise motion afterwards. And then to bring this full circle one step further, I have a client, I'm not going to say who it is, right. It's a SaaS SAS founder I work with yep. and, they, it was really interesting because they had kind of an enterprise motion and a PLG motion at the same time, mm-hmm. right? So okay. individual user acquisition, but then an yep. enterprise license. And we were looking through the data the other day. And I'm like, I was I was doing like a just a, a data analysis of like where there's opportunity to scale mm-hmm. pipeline fast for them. And one of the things I identified is there was like multiple executives from like Fortune 50 companies that were using his product. And the individual basis. And these aren't like totally get it. These are executives, right? Executives were using it at like some Uh of the biggest companies in the world. And I'm like, hey, um, we might want to call these people and give them a little extra TLC, even though they're individual users, because like this could 5x your largest, you know, client. Yeah. Very easily, right? So, anyways, that's just my thoughts. I don't know if you have any viewpoints on that as well, but 
that's just from what I've seen over the like literally the last month of like looking at this in a deeper perspective. It's brilliant that you saw it, right? Because I mean, that's exact. That's exactly what we anticipate measured risk is going to happen throughout this year. We think that there are a bunch of early adopters out there. And we think that there are a bunch of kind of what I consider uh, very savvy executives that will go out there, seek out these type of capabilities, go ahead and sign up on their own, test out a platform. And then if they like it, they're going to bring it back. They're either just going to use it in their job function just on their own, or they're going to bring it back to the mothership and say, hey, I found this greatest next greatest thing and we're ready, you know, like I, I can support it. Should we should buy this, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, that is actually, it's interesting that you kind of just act, went through that process. That's what I've been thinking is if you think of archetype, there are those people that, um, that do exactly what you described. And I envision those are, uh, those are really the ones that I think were one of our primary archetype focus uh, is that, executive at a corporation that's doing this on their own. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. I mean, I think it's a smart strategy, especially with how much value your solution provides. So we are getting close up on time, though. um, and We're going a little long, but I got one more question that we didn't really hit. And so I want to try and put a bow on this because I think this has bigger picture implications. Like, obviously, if, if you knew there was a pandemic potential risk, right, before the pandemic happened. Yep. First of all, and let's keep it tighter, man, tighter, right? Because we're close on time. But A, like, how did you know that, mm-hmm. right? And B, like, how much national security risk is there with with the way things are structured today with supply chain? Yeah, those are really uh, two questions that could I could go long on, but I won't. <laughs> um, the first one... I can't take credit for calling that that that, that was in the slide. Uh, we've got a really some smart folks on our team. One of them has done what's called super forecasting before. I don't know if you've ever familiar with that uh, mm-hmm. concept, but there are certain people in the world. If you if you look up something called the Good Judgment Project, um, there's a group out of IARPA, which is Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency that also does some of this super forecasting, geopolitical super forecasting work. And so we've had some team members involved in that. And when we were building out some future, uh, we were building out some content, one of the slide decks had we, we had for use casing was specifically uh, had pandemic risk in the slide and then resultantly supply chain risk and even mental health risk. And so you'd have to bring on Andrew to ask him exactly how he knew to put this slide together, but it was in 2019 and I've got it and I can send it to you and it's absolutely insane. And so that's like prescience in a way, that's like a gift of prescience and knowing the way the world's going. That's his, one of his core expertise. Um, He's got a military background and things like that. So, so that's, but then I've always been interested in doing that in products too. Right. And so that's kind of like, you know, we have people that do that type of stuff or have that skill set uh, as a person. And then and then if you can make a technology do that, to answer your second question, at a national security level, I'm very much involved and I have been for quite some time in um, really in helping support the national security position in the United States and, and doing that um, in the innovation side and making sure that we're we're providing, you know, the most advanced capabilities because look, the government, the Department of Defense has 350,000 suppliers. Wow. That's a, the, to, to monitor the visibility of that on a continuous basis, you need robust capabilities like a measured risk to be able to pull that off. And so 
that is uh, that has been the that has been kind of the uh, at the basis of the company from an ethos perspective is that we are here to help our country, um, and and then also at a global level, obviously. So we're not just a United States uh, focused company, but we believe that our capabilities uh, have have applicability in defense, certainly for sure. Excellent, yeah. man. Well, uh, it was awesome having you on the show. Where can people find you? Where can they find more about Measured Risk? And then we'll wrap it up, man. Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Tom Albert. Uh, just I think it's, what is it? LinkedIn, Tom Albert, or, or profile Tom Albert. Um, you can find me there. And then or if you just go to our Measured Risk page, you can also uh, submit through Measured Risk. And you can just email me if you want. It's just Albert at MeasuredRisk.com. Awesome, man. Well, it was really great having you on the show. I love your perspective. I love how simple you make complex topics. And uh, I think a bright future ahead for you and and measured risks, uh, especially based on your past, man. You've been killing it. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, man. Appreciate it. It was awesome having you on the show. All right. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.